behind left field. Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did. He got it. Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive. He crushed it. It's a grand slam. Swing and a miss. Strike three. It's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. The longest offseason of all time is finally just about over. We uh, last had a live game on, I think, September 29th, and... You know, 10 months later, the 2020 season will begin. We are about 48 hours, less than that, away from a game that actually counts outside of these exhibition games. Big news of the day, Mookie Betts signs a mega deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers. We'll be getting into that very shortly, as well as some observations from these exhibition games. I've got some gripes about some of the stuff I've seen. Uh, Maybe my uh, co-hosts tonight might as well. Uh, With me tonight, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm good. I'm I'm excited. Less than 24 hours till we get baseball that actually means something. So let's go. I'm ready. True, because the Yankees and the Nationals are uh, squaring off tomorrow. Is that the only game? I thought there were a few more. Uh, I think there's like three or four games, but I'm not sure. I think that's the big one that everyone's looking at, though. Yeah, Scherzer versus um, Garrett Cole. So. Uh, Garrett Cole can't seem to end up on the winning side of anything, so we kind of have to, you know, force ourselves to root for that to continue. Um, also with us tonight, coming off the bench, Aaron Graves. Aaron, how are you? I am good. I'm ready for baseball. I'm. I've been waiting for this since March. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were. Let's see, we were 15 days away at one point from live baseball. And then it didn't happen for four more months. So, yeah, and it's almost four months to the day because, let's see, what will it be? The 24th is opening day for us, and it was it was March 26th originally. So it took just about four months. And, uh, yeah, but I think everybody's ready to go. Mike Trout made it official today. He's going he's gonna to play. And... Uh, I don't think there's anything stopping us. I really think we're going to get this in. Do you guys feel a little more optimistic now than you might have, you know, two or three weeks ago? I know I definitely do. Yeah, I, I um, two weeks ago, if you had asked me, I would still say I was, I was cautiously optimistic because that was right around when there was a flood of players saying that they were questioning it. They weren't sure if they were going to participate. Now I feel like everyone's on board, the protocols are in place, and I feel like it'll mostly go off without any major hitches. There might be some hiccups along the way, but for the most part, I think it's going to be just fine. Aaron, how do you feel about it? Um, I, I think we're going to get it. I've 
from the beginning, I've said that if any sport's going to finish the season, it's easily going to be baseball. So there's that. And the fact that I guess towards the beginning, I was trying to look the other way on all of the things that could possibly go wrong because I really just wanted baseball. Yeah, me too. You know, baseball's my life, as as sad as that might sound. Like it's like it's my everyday routine and and just the other night, just hearing Jerry Remy's voice on my TV was like that's the most normal I've felt all year long, finally, even though they were in the studio. Yeah, I was impressed. I, I wasn't sure what to think going into that and how awkward it would sound or if they were going to be off or whatever, but that three-man booth, man, I, I miss those guys. Even O'Brien, who I think can be a little bit of a bore at times. Um, but, yeah, I, I miss hearing their voices and just hearing them call a baseball game. It, it felt good to hear that again. I hate O'Brien just on principle. <laughs> he he went to he went to Nesson and said, you know, I think you know, I think I want to get out of radio and I'm going to start looking again. And that kind of got the ball rolling <laughs> for Orsillo to, yeah, that's so many yeah, bad moves. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure most of Boston agrees with you. Every time I hear a Padres call, um, like. There was there was some highlight that made the rounds the other day of Manny Machado. As much as I hate Manny Machado, hearing Don Orsillo just call a great play, it's like, ah, oh, I miss that. Yeah, and I mean, some of those brutal August and September's where we were out of it, you know, 2012, 14, and 15, you know, they kept us entertained. You know, I still watched, and yeah, I just watched the, yeah. did you see the infamous boob grab? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's funny. Just to <laughs> just to listen to them, like there's like 30 minutes of silence, and then Orsillo tries to call what the pitch was, and he just like loses it like halfway through. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> I show that to everyone. I miss that guy, but if I'm ever having a bad day. I just go to that clip because it'll easily break. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's just kind of get into the news of the day. When you guys woke up out of bed this morning, whether it was 7 a.m. or 11 a.m., did you think Mookie Betts would have a uh, 12-year contract signed by the end of the day? Um, I certainly didn't, no. I I remember I, I woke up and, and I saw that he was trending. And my first thought was, oh no, is Mookie going to opt out too? Right. Cause David Price had opted out. I thought that that was why he was trending. And then I saw the reports from, uh, originally Lou Morloni, I think was the first to break it. Um, and he said, yeah, they're closing in on a mega deal at the time. The numbers that Morloni was throwing out was like 10 years, close to 400 million. And I just remember thinking, oh God, Boston's about to lose its mind because, this is exactly what the the homers and, and the mega fans had feared was that, you know, Mookie was going to lock into a long-term deal. I didn't think the deal was going to get done today. I thought it was like, oh, yeah, he'll, the reports will come out today and he'll sign maybe by the end of this week. But the fact that it's like pretty much a done deal by the end of uh, the afternoon today was pretty shocking to me. Aaron, what were your thoughts? I, I was also shocked, 
from the beginning, I've been a firm believer that he was going to go to free agency. And when he left Boston, I my thought was, oh, yeah, no. Um, all of what I thought was true. With the trade, I thought there was no chance that he was going to sign a long-term deal, especially with the Dodgers. But clearly, I was mistaken on that. Yeah, you know, if you asked me two months ago, I would have I would have been ninety nine percent sure he was going to free agency, you know, and he was just gonna toe that line just like he did with the the Red Sox. But once I started seeing the momentum happen today, I wasn't quite as shocked today because if you go back. You know, just the last few weeks here, you know, there's been talk where the market isn't going to be, you know, what it was, you know, leading up to this season. You know, you might not see many massive contracts. He might be relegated to a one-year contract. Then you have also the uncertainty of 2022, which could be a strike year or, or at least partially a strike year. You know, there's just so much uncertainty, and, and you had you had writers saying, you know, maybe Mookie Betts made a huge mistake not taking the 300 million from the Red Sox, and I think that might have ate away at him. So, you know, maybe we don't know when the conversation started between Mookie, you know, his agents in the front office, but maybe maybe it was just safer to err on the side of caution and just take the most money he could get now especially I don't know if this is a record because of the way the contracts are structured you know Trout got like 426 million but some of that was from his existing contract so if if this Mookie contract isn't a record deal anyway it's the second biggest obviously and I just feel like you know, it was a way for him to kind of save face and still get that massive haul. So I think, you know, in late July, it made a lot more sense for him to do this than, than it might have, you know, weeks or months prior. Well, and he, he gets the benefit of capitalizing on what his value is now. Um, he doesn't have to worry about Maybe in a 60-game season, he's not as sharp and he has a down year. Granted, he looks awesome so far in these exhibitions, so it looks like he hasn't missed a beat at all. Um, but he protects himself from that, right? He, he doesn't have to worry about, okay, if I have a slump in these 60 games and my value is going to go down on the open market. The Dodgers gave him a mega deal that he wanted. He took it right away. Um, I am curious as to when that conversation started because you know it's it's fair to point out from a boston standpoint that this guy showed no interest in signing an extension with the red sox the whole time he was here he he was determined to go to free agency now grant the red sox gave him a crap offer so that contributed to it too but he was determined and he, he made it clear to them he wanted to go to free agency and that's i think what fueled the trade so I'm curious, like, was it just a matter of once he got to L.A., he was like, OK, I'm out of Boston. I'm ready to sign. Or was it the whole coronavirus and him going, OK, baseball's coming back, but it still has an uncertain future. You mentioned 2022 being a potential strike year. Maybe he just went, you know what? 
instead of trying to get an extra 20, 30 million on the open market, I'm just going to take this deal from the Dodgers and live comfortably. So I don't blame him for getting his money. It, it seems clear to me that getting top dollar was a priority for him. So congrats. He got it. Um, you know, hopefully for the Dodgers, it works out. But generally, these big contracts don't. Do you have anything to add to that, Aaron? I, I think I agree with what you guys are saying. It's It does make sense, and I definitely think it plays a part of what both of you said, that one, probably part of it was he was out of Austin. I'm Obviously, there's no way for me to know, but I personally feel like he probably didn't really see his long-term future being in Boston. And then I think Corona also played a massive part. Yeah, I mean, he ended up, $65 million ended up being the difference here because the Red Sox offered him three hundred. And, you know, 365 ends up being the number, not factoring in whatever his prorated um, salary is for this year. So, I mean, he's still, you know, that's probably enough to justify it. I I don't think Red Sox fans could be miffed about that. But, um, but yeah, and as far as the Red Sox go, I'm a value guy. I mean, you guys probably haven't worked with me enough to know that, I just don't want any part of even really above two hundred million for a position player. I'll sign that Garrett Cole contract all day, any day. You know, even three hundred twenty-four million because he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, and he has the record of health to justify it. You know, Max Scherzer. You know, still pitching well. Still, you know, well, he did have some health issues finally this past year, but he was thirty-five by that point. Um, you know, Verlander has had some, you know, aches and pains, but nothing major still pitching well into his late thirties. Those are the contracts I'll sign for pitchers that are, you know, 27 to 30 years old. I don't mind locking those guys up. You know, Chris Sale was, would have been a guy I would have stayed away from because he didn't have the durability or the stamina and he's had a shoulder issue and now an elbow issue. So, you know, he wouldn't be an example of someone that I'd like to load up on. But, you know, I'll spend that money all day long. I I want no part of dumping all that money on a position player. I mean, for what Mookie's getting paid, that's, you know, $365 million. I was I was playing scenarios in my head. 365 comes out to two Xander Bogart deals and a John Lester deal that he signs with the Cubs. You can get two Xander Bogarts and a John Lester for 365. I'd much rather do that. Yeah, I agree, especially since it's not baseball is not like the NBA where in the NBA you sign LeBron James and you've got a good chance of going to the NBA finals and winning, right? It's the one superstar can get it done in that league. Even the NFL, to some extent, you sign the best quarterback, you know, a Tom Brady or whatever, you've got a good shot of going to the playoffs, going to the Super Bowl, whatever. Baseball's not like that. You know, ask the Yankees, ask any of these big money teams that have spent boatloads on these guys. Now, the Nationals, they spent money on guys like Scherzer and whatever, and it worked out. They eventually won. But 
they didn't give Bryce Harper his big contract, and then they won the next year that he left. Like, it, it's baseball is not one of these sports where you can hand out that one big contract to that one guy, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're going to go to the World Series. It's it just works differently. It, it's got to be a whole the whole operation has to work. So I agree. I'm not a fan of the ten to ten plus year like mega deal to one guy. I'd rather have smaller deals for maybe lesser players, but smaller deals that are more manageable that make a more well-rounded team. Cause I think in baseball, that's what wins. Yeah. I mean, if Devers has a, a good year this year, you know, albeit a shortened one, I mean, eight years at like 200 million, I guess I'd be comfortable with that. You know, 25 million a year. He's, you know, that would take him what through his age 32 season, you know, so I guess I would do something like that. The The Braves got an absolute steal on Acuna, who doesn't, I think his totals out to about 150 million over 10 years, by the way, if they, if they pick up his options. So stuff like that is fine. You can have one or two of those at least, but you know, pitching is, is definitely where I'd rather spend the money. And you made a good point with with the Nationals and Bryce Harper. They finally get rid of them, and then they, they win. And maybe the clubhouse was a little less, I don't want to say toxic, but maybe a little less dramatic, and, and you know, maybe there were less distractions. You know, I'm guessing that that might have been part of it. One other example of how one player can't carry a team, especially a position player, the Angels and Mike Trout, they've never won a playoff game in his entire career, and this is about to be his either ninth or tenth year. Never won a playoff game. Yep. And then, stupidly, they went out and spent money on just another position player to have right. on top of it instead of getting more pitching. It's it, They're baffling to me. But exactly. Yeah, that's a good example. I mean, Garrett Cole probably wouldn't have went there, but you know, they should have been in on him. And if they didn't want to go that route, there was Madison Bumgarner who signed a very affordable contract. Everybody says he's on the downside and maybe he is, but maybe he'll adapt. But he, he got like a five year, 70 something million dollar contract, very low risk for the Diamondbacks. And I'm spacing it right now, but I mean, there were other free agent pitchers that were extremely viable and, the Angels backed up the Brinks truck for Anthony Rendon. That's just insane to me. That that's a team Such that's a run organization. Yeah, Artie Moreno is the owner, and he just gets involved in everything. He's like he's like MLB's version of of the Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones. Only I think Moreno might be a little dumber. It's close, but. <laughs> <laughs> I I think Moreno's a, a little dumber, but he's pretty. Yeah, and they didn't win that O two World Series. He wasn't the owner of the team yet, so that was under a previous owner. So you, you can't even give him credit for that. But, but yeah, so just that's just a lot of money for Mookie Betts, and it also surprised me that Andrew Friedman, you know, would would value a contract like that because he came from the Rays organization, got them into the world series, made a bunch of brilliant moves, developed prospects really good. 
And then he comes to the Dodgers. He's got this massive payroll way over the luxury tax. And while he's overhauling that roster and getting it cleaned up, he's not only making the playoffs, but he's going to the World Series. So I'm just a little surprised that, you know, after all that work, getting getting his payroll down, he just blows all that on Mookie Betts. And I know they've got some young guys that are controllable for a long time, so I guess they were in the best position to do it. But for Friedman, it, it kind of surprised me. Yeah, it's I I was never for giving Mookie. Once he said three hundred million, I was like, okay, nope, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and it just blows my mind that they're going to give that massive of a deal for a guy who's never played a meaningful game in a Dodgers uniform. Absolutely. Yeah, and this is now this is going to be a huge test for Friedman in terms of is he really as smart as people on baseball think he is because sure he did he worked wonders with the Rays when he had basically no payroll and he had to kind of be creative but now the checkbook's wide open for him and he's already spent a boatload of money on one guy so let's see I mean and you're right like they've got a lot of young controllable players going forward they've got some veterans who are on expiring contracts they can get rid of eventually but you know, it, if he screws this up and he, you know, kind of blew his load on on, Mo, on Mookie, then if, you know, all of a sudden his value is going to go down too because it's like, okay, you could do it in a small market, but when we give you the big payroll and you can't win a World Series, that's a problem. Yeah, and usually when you when you end up handcuffing yourself financially, you end up making really costly trades you know, which is kind of what Dombrowski did with the Red Sox. And luckily we kind of, you know, didn't get too hurt in, in a lot of those. But, um, you know, we, we don't have a very highly ranking farm system right now, nonetheless. So, um, yeah, that's that's definitely going to be interesting to <laughs> to see how he kind of maneuvers now that, now that payroll's back up. And I said earlier, I said, you know, Mookie Betts just stole Cody Bellinger's massive deal. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't know if he's going to quite get into the three hundred millions, but he's young enough to get certainly over two hundred anyway, and, and maybe even over three. I, I don't know. Walker Bueller is probably going to want a big deal, you know, if his health justifies it. So, I just that's crazy. I mean, look at just to take Anaheim for, for one more example, Rendon and Trout are over a half billion dollars, billion with a B. <laughs> so you can't <laughs> you can't have too many of those. The Yankees, here's another one. I mean, I don't know what kind of a deal Judge is going to get, you know, because health, you know, might play a factor with him. But initially I'm thinking at least probably 300 for him and, and then I, I thought Severino at the time was going to, you know, get a huge deal. But then Cole steps in. So just give Judge that three. Uh, Garrett Cole's at 324. So now you're, you know, you're over $600 million And you got the Stanton deal for seven or eight more years. So that puts you at probably what? Eight, eight and a half hundred million? Just shy of a billion yeah. for three players, and 
Yeah. Can't forget Torres wants money eventually as well. Who's that? Glaber Torres. Oh, absolutely, and he's going to be mid to upper two hundreds at least. So, and you know, Yankee fans think it's going to be sustainable, and a lot of them were telling me that the luxury tax might go away. You know, that owners might be in favor of it. But after looking at these last couple of months, like, no way are they going to be in favor of getting rid of the luxury tax. So, no, no shot because then and the competitive balance gets thrown completely out the window. Other owners aren't going to want that at all. Yeah, the small market teams, it's free money. Why would, why would they be okay with it, you know, right. and get outspent and outgunned? I just, so, I mean, I still think the Yankees are in for, you know, they're going to go into another purgatory, you know, after, you know, three or four more years or so. So I just, it's, it's just, yeah. And the other thing today too is, I don't know if you guys noticed, but Carabas was just getting killed uh, on <laughs> Twitter. Just yesterday he tweeted at, I think a Dodger fan or someone like that, or maybe it was a media member from that market. He goes, enjoy your 60 games with Mookie. And then 24 hours later, they got him for the next 13 years, <laughs> you know, and just getting killed. And it is. It is baffling to me that there are, whether it's Carabas or anyone else, that there are Red Sox fans who actually thought Mookie was going to come back. Like, and I tweeted earlier, it's like it's like you all forgot about John Lester and what happened there. Like, I, and I remember that. I remember when John Lester was traded. Every Red Sox fan, all the big homers, oh, he's going to come back. He loves Boston. He'll come back. It's it's no big deal that they traded him. He won't be upset about it. Well, too bad he didn't come back. They almost never come back, and it, it kind of made me laugh just seeing him have such a hard day because it's – and you, you put it perfectly, Terry. It's like this is a guy who doesn't deal in reality to begin with. Yeah. this is a nice dose of reality for him. It's like, yeah, they don't always come back. Not everyone loves Boston, so that's just the bottom line. Their whole off season yeah. was gonna be, oh, Mookie's coming back and Cora's coming back. <laughs> it's just it's just so Yeah. I'm not gonna bash him too much. You know, officially I sort of get along with him outside of a few spats that we've had, but um but yeah, he just he was really getting killed all day long. What what were you gonna say, Aaron? What? Oh, I thought you were about to say oh, something. No, I, I, I just have one more point on the Mookie thing. I'd like to make. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I like Mookie. I always did like Mookie. I still do, but he's a small guy. He's not a big. He's not a big dude. I'm concerned that he's going to break down when he gets towards the end of that deal, and it could eventually easily be one of the worst contracts in baseball. Yeah, I think to to put a spectrum out there, I think worst case he ends up on the Ellsbury and where a lot of his you know his aggressive defense, aggressive offense is predicated on speed. And so that's that's the bad end of the spectrum. The good end of the spectrum, maybe he'll be a, a Tory Hunter type guy who was pretty durable and pretty, you know, productive late in his uh you know 30s so he's gonna fall somewhere in there and he's probably gonna have to adapt but 
I mean, at face value, they're going to get seven or eight pretty good years out of that. And then, you know, like you said, who knows after. Yeah, I, I agree with Aaron. I think that's a really good point. Um, the comp that a lot of people are making to Mookie is Andrew McCutcheon, who's kind of on the downslope now, and he's, what, 34, 35. Uh, they're similar size and build to you know to each other. Um, but then again, like you look at a guy like Giancarlo Stanton, who's an Adonis, and he can't stay on the field either, and he's 27 years old. He's the same age as Mookie. And he's a he's a giant and he's he's jacked, but he can't stay on the field either. So these long term contracts are such a they're such a huge gamble because no matter the the size or the build or whatever, like you can't guarantee health for any athlete for thirteen years. It's just ridiculous to do that. So yeah, hopefully he doesn't break down and he doesn't he doesn't turn into Ellsbury and he is more like a Tory Hunter or maybe an Adam Jones where he's still productive you know, into his thirties, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, I guess we're just going to have to, yeah, I'm sure the stat geeks will be, you know, looking at the, the super, you know, analytics and everything. And, but one thing I did notice about him too is I, and I don't have his spray chart up, but he very seldom ever goes opposite field. Doesn't he? Like, he's mostly a pull guy, you know, out to left field. So, I just, he, I mean, I think he's going to have to get a little bit more dynamic at the plate. Yeah, he's he's got a very compact swing, which uh, is part of that, too. Because I've always said, if you want to get Mookie Betts out on two strikes, just throw a slider away. He won't be able to get it. He's not like, you know, Bogarts has the, the range and the length in his swing to be able to go the opposite way. J.D. Martinez can go the opposite way. Mookie just has a very, and it, it works for him because it's powerful and it, you know, it provides a lot of pop for him, but he's got a very compact swing. So I wonder if that's something that he'll eventually adapt or if that's just what he is now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the bat speed will be there, you know, you know, once 34, 35, 36 hit. So, yeah, I mean, you know, when you say adapting, I, I think he, he he has to. So, anyway, um, I any last thoughts on, on Mookie? I'm good. Okay. Yeah, I just, I, um, I think it's interesting to see how, divided boston was about it today in a way i was proud of red sox fans for being kind of 50 50 i think half were sort of washing their hands going okay good riddance i'm glad we didn't sign him to a 13-year mega deal and the other half is pissed at ownership for not paying him um but yeah i i I, i'm glad me personally i'm glad we didn't sign him to the 13-year deal i'm with you terry i hate those kind of contracts so um I wish him the best. I, I still like him as a player. I like him, like him as a person. I have nothing against him, but I'm glad that he's somewhere else with that contract and not here. Yeah, and I'll, I'll also say, you know, I think some of the people who were washing their hands uh, of him today were kind of full of shit because I swear to God, you know, a little over a year ago, it was me versus the world 
on whether we should sign Mookie or not. And I, there was a fair number of people that, you know, did agree. But I don't know how many Twitter wars I had or Facebook Red Sox group wars, sports talk radio wars. We got a afternoon. Uh, well, Aaron probably is familiar with the PM jab out here. Um Yeah, me and Javier would just, like, rage on each other because he's a big, you know, have-to-sign-Mookie guy. And, you know, so I was fighting all these people, and then some of them today were like, oh, yeah, I knew the whole time. Yeah, I never wanted Mookie. I'm like, you are are full of shit. But uh, (laughs) there there was some of that today anyway. But but nonetheless, I'm just glad it, it worked out the way that it did. So I have a complaint about Ron Renicki's lineups. And oh, yeah. the games didn't count, so maybe we'll see something different on Friday. That's what I'm hoping. You know, if he wants to be the manager in 2021, he's going to have to have some better lineups. I don't like Martinez in the two-hole. You know, I'd much rather have him hitting behind Devers because I feel like out of those two players, the one that's more likely to go on a slump is probably Devers. And if JD is hitting behind him, then Devers would have to at least be pitched to, you know. So I think I think that just puts Devers in a better position to be offensive. And then last night Verdugo was in the seven hole, in the seven hole. The guy's either a one or a two hole guy, or he's probably a five or a six hole guy. On a good team, he's he's not a three four. I don't think. But I just all the way down to seventh. That just was mind-boggling. Yeah, I, I still someone needs to explain to me the love affair with Mitch Moreland and why <laughs> he's not only still here at thirty-three years old when it's kind of a turnover season anyway, and you're trying to get more young guys in there. But the fact that he's hitting fifth, I mean, come on! I know he's having a good exhibition spring whatever you want to call this spring 2.0 but verdugo should be if you're going to put a lefty behind the number four hitter which should not be bogarts by the way but that's a separate thing um at least have it be verdugo like this is a young kid who you know you're very you supposedly are very high on because you traded one of the best players in baseball for him and he's looking to prove himself so Put him in the five spot. Like Mitch Moreland, we know what Mitch Moreland is. He's going to hit 233. Sure, he'll hit maybe 20 home runs, 25 home runs, but he is what he is. He's not a number five hitter. Like that was so bizarre to me. Aaron? Yeah. I I have no interest in ever seeing Mitch Moreland hit any higher than six. And even six is a little stretch. Uh, I believe I texted Terry. A couple of weeks ago, and asked him for what he thought his lineup was be was going to be, and I'm pretty sure we both had Mitch Moreland hitting like seventh, if we even had him in the lineup at all. And I also hate JD Martinez hitting second. I know that there are baseball people out there who are like your best hitter should always be hitting second. I'm like, I don't know. I disagree with that entirely. I would put JD hitting fourth, and I would put Devers hitting third, and I'd probably put Xander hitting second. Would yeah. You- Verdugo hitting I mean, Xander has had his best, you know, seasons hitting, you know, fifth or sixth, roughly. So maybe there's a comfort level there, and that's why he's there. But I don't know. I mean, 
tonight this is this is five through eight right here. This year, five hole through your eight hole was Moreland, Vasquez, Chavis, and Bradley. There's a million strikeouts in those four guys right in a row. And Vasquez had a good year last year, but if he goes back to his normal self this year, that we're going to get shut down. You know, yeah, and, like and Vasquez has not been good so far. He's you know he was uh, three strikeouts and three at bats in that exhibition game. So, and he's I think he's got a one forty three so far in the spring two point oh. Like, yeah, he had a good year last year, but you're right. If he goes back to just being all defense and no hitting, that five through eight is going to be a joke. I mean, it's just going to be a clean sweep for any any pitcher. Yeah, and yeah, Pilar was in the order as well, uh, batting ninth. So I just, it's a very messy looking lineup. There's a lot to hate about it, even where your good players are are aligned. It's, I just, it makes me wonder, like, did Renicky like, disagree with Cora a lot quietly and just never said anything? you know, to have a lineup look like this? Possibly. Now, one thing he said on Merloni's show today, which concerns me kind of a lot, actually, is he's, he said that the reason he doesn't want Bogarts hitting second is because Bogarts isn't comfortable hitting second. Um, and that's and so he's like, it just makes sense to have JD hitting there for now and to move Bogarts back. And... This has always been a little bit of a concern. I love Xander Bogarts. I, I think he's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that he signed here, you know, and, and he signed that extension. But he's we've kind of been through this with him a lot. Like that one year they moved him to third base, he was all out of sorts. He had one of his worst offensive seasons, and the whole thing was he was not comfortable. So now he's not comfortable hitting second, so you have to hit him fourth or fifth. Like you can't move him in the lineup or else he's just going to go into a slump, like, I don't know. For, for a guy who's supposed to be part of your future, that's not a great sign to me. And the fact that Renicky has to have this mutant form of a lineup just to make one guy comfortable or, you know, to make Xander Bogarts a little more comfortable, that's a little bit concerning. That's a very good point. Great point. And we're still uncertain also about Ben Intendi being able to lead off, you know, and be an effective lead off guy. He, uh, you know, he was a little frustrated tonight and it's funny cause he and I, uh, basically, you know, yelled the F bomb at the same time. Um, <laughs> you know, cause I, I was just, I just want him to do well in, in that spot. And it's just, it just kind of remains to be seen. So, so we'll we'll see what the Friday lineup looks like. I mean, maybe these are just exhibition games, and he's kind of tinkering with some stuff. But um, I'm I'm not thrilled, and it sounds like you guys aren't either. With you know, with what it's looked like so far. So um, mm. another thing you do not do is you don't put Brazier in the game if you're not up by at least six runs or down by at least six runs. <laughs> That, last night was the most Brazier relief appearance ever. Comes in, he's got a one-run lead, 
And I, when they went to commercial, I was like, geez, I hope he doesn't bring out Brazier. And then they come back and, you know, ta-da, Brazier. And I, he, he walked one or two and then, and then got crushed. I, I forget who hit that, that dinger. Might have been Telez, actually. Was it him? No, it was um, Derek Fisher. Uh, Derek, Derek. Yeah, Derek Fisher. Oh, oh right. Yeah, my bad. Um, right. Telez hit one uh, earlier, and that guy just frightens me because for some reason he assassinates us and only us. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, and so it just it didn't look good. And and here's the thing, and I was raging about this on Twitter immediately after. 60 games isn't a long time. Like, we don't have time for Brazier to figure it out, whether it's mechanical, mental, or both. There's just not enough time. Yeah, that sums it up completely. Yeah, I, I can't believe, again, it, he's he's in the Mitch Moreland category for me. Like, we're still doing this with Ryan Brazier. We're still acting like this guy is a late-inning, you know, gem because he had what, you know, one good, not even full season, where somehow he was able to stymie hitters and and fool them a little bit. Like clearly, he's been exposed. He's he was a late bloomer who, again, he had that one good little run, but he was awful last year. And I don't understand. It, obviously, Workman's going to get the ninth, right? Like once the actual games start, Workman's going to be your closer. So. Why didn't you bring him in to close in this one? Um, I I don't understand that, and and I'm not a huge Matt Barnes guy, but if you're gonna pick anyone out of that bullpen of crap to be your eighth inning pitcher, it should be Matt Barnes because at least he's got a little bit of a better track record than Brazier. Granted, not that much better, but yeah, it, classic Red Sox bullpen. You know, we finally get to see them on TV and we finally get to, you know, get a somewhat real game experience and it ends with the Red Sox bullpen blowing it. I mean, it's just, it's classic. So if that's what this year is going to be like, then holy crap, it's going to be a long 60 games. Bards gave up a dinger uh, to the first or second battery faced and then seemed to settle down. Okay. He's just really streaky. And Joe Kelly was the same way. Kelly was probably a little worse, but Barnes is, you know, ideally just a situational guy that you're going to put in there. You're not going to anoint him to a defined role because I just, I don't think he handles that well. And, you know, we're going to get Taylor back. We're going to get Darwinson back here uh, probably more sooner than later. So, you know, you got Taylor, Darwinson, and then Workman, you know, for the last three innings. Barnes will come in occasionally, you know, when, you know, one of those guys isn't available because they've pitched two games in a row or whatever, you know, so that that's okay. And once Erod comes back, we're going to have a, a surplus of, you know, number five starters that we can throw into the bullpen as well. So I just... I hope it's not Brazier. I, I don't want I don't want Renicky to become the next coming of John Farrell. <laughs> oh God, no! And I mean, I guess the one plus you can take away from that game was actually the starter. Um, I expected Ryan Weber to get lit up, and granted, he wasn't great—four runs in six innings. 
but he was passable. And for a team like the Red Sox that's going to rely on their offense anyway, he did his job as a guy who's going to be your fourth or fifth starter or whatever. So I guess that was a positive, is that Ryan Weber actually looks decent. He's not a complete disaster. But, yeah, that bullpen, oof, that's going to be that's going to be a real project this, this season. Um. I, to sum up Ryan Brazier for me is if I trust Keith Hembry to be in the game more than you, you have no business pitching in the major leagues. <laughs> That's a good point. And, and or go ahead. Um, I was also pleasantly surprised with Ryan Weber. Uh, granted that I don't have, didn't have much for expectations, but he definitely exceeded anything that I could expect. And if I can get that out of him, uh, how many starts are they going to get this year? 12? If I can get that out of him, seven starts this year, I'll be completely satisfied with Ryan Royal first season. Yeah, I mean... And I was also impressed with Godley. Godley, yeah, I'll get to him in a second. But with Weber and Godley, too, I mean, neither one of them really hit 90 you know, with their fastball, they're, you know, off-speed guys, and I guess that'll be fine for 60 games. I mean, if this was a full season, you know, and teams got, you know, second, third, fourth looks at these guys, I think they would probably have bad second halves, but um, patchworking this together until we can hopefully sign maybe a Lester or a Bauer guy, you know, in the in the winter um, you know, we're, we're just going to hope for the best, but, but, you know, Weber, he gave up that home run late and, you know, was pitching two run ball. So yeah, we will take that every time. I have a feeling he's going to get murdered against the Yankees every time, but, you know, facing the Orioles, the, the Blue Jays, maybe even Tampa, you know, he might be able to keep us in the game, you know, as long as our you know, offense is, is clicking and, you know, there's some tough national league teams, you know, basically everyone, but the Marlins in that division, uh, you know, could be dangerous. We'll get the Mets out of the way, um, next week. So, um, you know, so just kind of hoping for the best there. What would you guys think about Godley tonight? Cause he pitched three full innings, didn't give up a single hit. Yeah, I. so I'm glad he didn't give up a hit. He, he had two Ks over three innings, but he threw 35 pitches. Only 13 of them were strikes. Uh, that's a little concerning. And, I, you know, this Toronto lineup is a little bit intimidating. They've got some, some big hitters in there, so maybe he was just trying to really skate around them, trying to be extra careful. But, you know, you mentioned that he's another guy. He doesn't have a lot of pop in his arm. He's just kind of, you know... Um, he's just there. And wasn't he released by the Tigers, too? Like, if the Detroit Tigers don't want you in their rotation, then that concerns me a lot, because they got nothing there. Um, so, I don't know. I, Godley, I think, will be a nice extra guy to have around, but I'm not expecting a lot from him. Um, again, just the control was a big issue for me tonight. Actually, I thought he threw 24 
strikes out of 35 pitches. I could be wrong. I was trying to look at it, but, um, you know, he had that one walk, but I, I think that was his only base runner. Yeah, I'm just looking at the athletic box score, and it says 13 strikes out of 35 pitches. But Really? Wow. Okay. Maybe I, I read it wrong then. Um, well, I mean, hopefully, you know, <laughs> we're just hoping for the best. We, we also picked up uh, Dylan Covey, you know, and he's got terrible. I happen to be at his best star ever where he outdueled Chris Sale, and Sale was, like, electric that night. He was shutting down the White Sox, but he, I think he gave up, like, one home run or something like that. And I think it was the only – it might have even been one, actually. We might have lost the game one to nothing, if I remember right. I was sitting out in center field at Fenway that night. But Covey started that game, and we just couldn't touch him. And everything went downhill after that for him between, you know, Chicago and Tampa. But – um like Andrew said in the in the group chat that we have, he's another warm body, and you know, mm. I just feel like if one out of the three of these guys finishes the season sub four with an ERA, I I guess you'll take that and hope that Perez, Evaldi, and, and Erod, you know, kind of hold their own because I mean. A lot of these guys, Godley was just released this week. So, yeah. And, and then one other thing that keeps coming to mind is I'm not familiar with Dave Bush. So I'm just hoping there's some magic there that he can, you know, have some advanced, you know, formula, advanced whatever to to maybe turn some of these guys around. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know about Bush. So, yeah, he—I uh, I don't know much about him either. Um, he, he's kind of a newer because he like just retired a couple of years ago. Yeah, like, he was kind of journeyman pitcher himself. That uh, you know just retired retired like in like 2014. So he's he's one of these again one of these former players, sort of a new coach. I mean, maybe he he's got some good stuff up his sleeve, but. Yeah, he's really unproven, so it, it's impossible to tell. Yeah, I mean, with, with Levangi, they got off to a bad start last year, and then the bullpen kind of, you know, rounded into form the last couple of months. But, you know, unfortunately the starters all fell apart. Um, you know, Levangi wasn't really working well with the analytics department, and there was basically no communication there. Um, as the season went on so they clearly liked Dave Bush for some reason he's not he might be 40 this year but you know when he was hired last winter he was definitely 38 39 somewhere around there and uh, you know it's just part of the new wave of getting these younger guys in and the Yankees went even more radical they went with like a high school pitching coach or whatever um, to replace yeah. um I forget his name. He just went out to uh, San Diego. Um, was it Roth? Ross Child. Yeah, yeah, my bad. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, like I said, I'm just kind of, kind of hoping for uh, some magic there. So 
so I, you know, the season starts this week. Do we have a, a pitching rotation yet? I know Evaldi uh, leads off, and he's going against Tommy Malone, so we're not even facing their toughest pitcher, John Means, uh, you know, from Baltimore. He's got some, I guess, a tired elbow or whatever. So we've got an even more favorable matchup for game one. And I don't know. I'm assuming Perez will go second and then maybe Weber. Yeah, in fact, I I just looked at it on MLB, and our starter for Saturday is still TBD against against Alex Cobb, oddly enough. (laughs) I didn't even know Alex Cobb was still in the big leagues, but there we go. Yeah, he's with them. That's a guy who just... He had Tommy John and, you know, was kind of looked at as a number two guy before that and and just never never got it back. So, you know, well, hopefully. Now, the only other thing I will say is looking at just, again, I'm just looking at MLB's schedule. A lot of teams have TBD starters for Saturday. So I think a lot of teams still haven't quite set their rotations yet. Um, so, I, I agree with you. It should be Perez game two on Saturday. Um, that would make the most sense, but who knows? I don't think there's any other way that you can go other than Perez. As much as I dislike Martin Perez, there, there's no other choice. So basically, what what do we have to do here? If we're going to at least keep things interesting, you know, and not fall out of it right away, I mean... I think you kind of have to sweep the Orioles, take two out of three at a minimum. Then you have the Mets, who can be a bit of a dumpster fire. I think they've got clubhouse issues, you know, with guys like Syndergaard spouting off. And I'm not sure that their bullpen is is really resolved from last year. So, I mean, you could kind of make a case that maybe the Red Sox can take two or three of those and... You know that puts you a few games above 500 and and off to a good start. I mean, I think we have to have a scenario like that if we're gonna stay competitive. Yeah, I would agree. Um, those those first seven games, you should at least go. I would say, you know, four and three, at worst. Um, the Orioles stink. I mean, they really do still stink. They they got nothing on that ball club. They've got a nice couple of young players that they're gonna they're gonna debut, but like that pitching is awful over there, especially without John Means. I agree with you about the Mets. I think they're still a dumpster fire. Um, they've got a lot of off field distractions too, with the whole who's gonna buy the team and all that stuff. So you should at least go four and three, optimistically five and two in those first seven games before you get to the Yankees. Yankees My are... concern is the Mets pitching rotation. Because I'm pretty sure they announced they're going to Grom, Mats, and Waka for the opening three, which leaves Stroman and Porcello to pitch in Fenway. And then back to Grom. Wait, so did... Sin- I missed something with Syndergaard. Did he have surgery or something? I think he's out. Okay. Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of a, a big factor. I'd be really curious to see how we do against Rick Porcello. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting game. 
Um, is that that's in New York though, right? That's not at Fenway. It's two and two. It's a home and home series, so we got two at Fenway and then uh, two in New York. Okay, so we might see him at Fenway by then. Um, yeah, Syndergaard I think is still rehabbing, so I don't think he's quite. I don't think he's quite back yet, and obviously they lost Stroman today. Um, so yeah, we we might see Porcello at Fenway. Um, I actually think Porcello's going to have a pretty good year there, so he might come in and shut us down, especially since he knows that lineup pretty well. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I still think five and two, four and three in those first seven. You, you've got to at least do that if you want to be competitive. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I'll be curious to see what the you know the the pitching matchups look like going into that, but I think I'd love to play them, you know, without having much momentum, you know, getting them out of the way early, I think is where they could potentially be really vulnerable. And, and, you know, it's our best chance to, to capitalize, especially if the Yankees or the race scuffle a little bit, you know, so we'll, yeah, I guess we just got to focus on it one game at a time. I mean, we didn't even win a summer camp game. <laughs> not to sound too pessimistic, yeah, but yeah, against a, a not so great um, Blue Jays team. But just a random question here. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap here in a few minutes. But are you guys pro A Rod as far as buying the Mets or or no? I like it. I've found that ever since A-Rod retired, I actually like A-Rod as a person. It's weird. It's yeah. Yeah, I, I'm actually pro A-Rod, too. I don't think that he's going to get it because um, I don't think he has the financial backing of uh, Steve Cohen. So I think Cohen's going to end up getting it. But I think it would be kind of comical if A-Rod were to buy the Mets and were some was somehow able to turn them around, and they were able to win a World Series before the Yankees do. Um, <laughs> like that's just sort of a dream scenario that I have, just to really send the Yankee Yabos into into orbit. Because um, I actually do think A Rod is a very smart baseball guy. Like if you throw the cheating out and everything else, like he knows what he's doing. He knows the game very well. He's one of the few bright spots of the ESPN um, slog of a Sunday night broadcast. You know, whenever Jessica Mendoza finishes her stupid monologue about God knows what, he'll actually chime in with some real baseball facts. Um, So I don't think he'd be terrible. And I don't know. I think it'd be good for baseball, too. Like, that's a name. That's He's sort of a celebrity now ever since he got with J-Lo. So I think it'd be good for the sport, and I think it'd be good for the Mets. Like, it's something different, and it's not just some billionaire who doesn't know anything about baseball. Like it's, it's a former player who I think could really actually turn them around. What if he and JLo got divorced? How would that work? <laughs> you know, oh, they, yeah. <laughs> that happened with the Dodgers. It wasn't quite that high of a profile celebrity thing, but uh, when the McCourts owned them, they, you know, ended up selling, but here, here's my fear. And I guess this is why I don't really like it. 
Jeter owns the Marlins. A-Rod would potentially own the the Mets. I do think Cohen will get it because he, he doesn't even need investors, I don't think. He could straight up buy it. But, um, but just say for argument's sake, A-Rod does get it. You know other players are going to start you know, trying to get in on it. And I just don't want it to be this fraternity of, you know, ex players, you know, basically playing fantasy baseball against each other. I, so, I mean, that's, that's why I don't like it, but you know, I'm not a big A-Rod guy. I mean, I've watched so many, have you guys seen screwball on Netflix? Oh yeah. Yeah. So you got that, and then there's the 60-minute interview with uh, his steroid dealer, who, according to Manfred, A-Rod might have tried to have whacked. <laughs> so, you know, it just I, this isn't a guy that I, I like a lot, but he, he does seem to be on his apology tour. I did hear him, I think it was earlier in spring training before the, the COVID hit, um, last February or March, he did refer to himself as a buffoon, you know, back in those years. So he, he is trying to, you know, kind of right the ship, but, but we'll see how that goes. I, I I'm wondering how quickly, um, you know, the, the Met situation will get resolved. Um, one last thing, because it was mentioned tonight on the broadcast and this could affect the Red Sox a little bit, but, they may, after all, go with an expanded playoff format. Which, this year only, I'm in favor of. Yeah. Now, it, so, I, I agree. I think for the 60-game season, for the circumstances that we have, they should go with it at least for this year. And if nothing else, like, there's this serves as a good, like, test year for it. So, See how it goes, you know, and, and we'll see if it's viable uh, in the future. I agree. I mean, if you got nothing to lose in sixty games, it's why not? It's more baseball, and I, I think we all want that. I, I wouldn't be in favor of it in a regular year because I, I just think it dilutes the the playoff field anyway. And if you're having that many teams in. There's no divisional races, so there's no drama in the regular season. Like maybe there would be amongst like third place teams in divisions that are trying to get into the, you know, the sixth, seventh, and eighth seeds. But I mean, those teams probably aren't going to be a factor anyway. If you look at a lot of the the previous years, I mean, we knew last year it was probably going to be the Astros and the Yankees. And it was the same could be said for, for, you know, 2017, when those guys played, we, we knew in, in 2018, when we won it, we, we were going to have to play the Astros. It's almost predictable how it's gonna, how it's gonna end up and to, to water it down even more. I'm just not in favor of that. Now, let me ask you this, like you think after this 60 game season, do you think it's a done deal that they just go right back to 162 if assuming they're able to, or do you think that this might open the door to them saying, you know what, maybe we can lop up a few games. Maybe we can bring it down to 140 or something like that. Um, that would be lost revenue for the owners. So I guess I'd be a little surprised if that happens. 
I know a number they have talked about is is 154, so that would eliminate eight games. So that that fits in, you know, an extra round, whether it's whether it's more teams in the playoffs or maybe you stretch out the current wild card to two out of three or whatever. Right. But either way, I just I love a good division race, a good wild card race. The Red Sox seem to be, you know, either first place or just not in the playoffs, you know, based on the last decade. We haven't been a wild card team, you know, in the two wild card, you know, team era yet. Yeah, that's true. So, so yeah, so We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I guess their logic is, well, you know, if if the Angels can get in and it, it boosts their ticket sales or, you know, the Diamondbacks can get in and, and their ticket sales go up, you know, the, it's all about money, unfortunately. It's not about how good of a product it's going to be or, or whatever. So, yeah. But we'll. Um, I'm. I'm assuming by the next episode we'll have that because it has to be in place before, you know, opening day. So I guess it would have to be announced, you know, before the first pitch tomorrow night. But oh yeah, I would. Any yeah. Uh, final thoughts before uh, we do wrap? My only final thought is uh, I, I am excited. It's been a long road to get here but i'm excited for baseball um and i hope i said this in the chat earlier i hope jackie bradley continues to hit his ass off for the next month or so so that the red sox can trade him at the august deadline and we can finally be done with jackie bradley jr in boston because i'm ready to move on from that guy if we're going to move on from guys like mookie Betts and everyone else let's move on from him too so let's pray for 30 days of Jackie Bradley at his best so that we can trade him. Are you a Bradley guy, Aaron, or no? No. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess sometime. I am when he's on his two-week hot streak every season. Yeah, so we're officially just not a Jackie Bradley uh, podcast because I, th- I think we all hate him. And, you know, if you want, like, an optimistic – view of what we might be able to get for Bradley. We did get uh, Josh Taylor for Devin Marrero from the Diamondbacks. So maybe maybe you get another Josh Taylor <laughs> out of uh, a trade. So we'll see. Martinez could also be shipped too, which I, I got mixed feelings about. But that, that could be a full lengthy topic for another show. So we'll just shelve that one for now but all right guys well i'm glad it's back as well uh, you know even with the fake crowd noise if i wasn't looking at the tv it sounded normal and uh so that's kind of been nice and and uh i'm looking forward to friday and hopefully starting the season one and oh so thanks for uh coming on and uh you know we'll yep. be we'll be bantering uh you know throughout the weekend Sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right. Take care. Thanks again, Appreciate Aaron. Appreciate Absolutely. We'll have you on again soon. Sounds good. I did forget to mention that this is the 200th episode of the podcast. So 
what an interesting journey that has been. Um, yeah, so thanks for joining us and we'll be back Sunday with a, a regular in-season show with our regular in-season format. Alan Charlie will be with me for that episode and we'll be off and running. So take care, everyone.